All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Motorsport Republica podcast. We're in for a very special treat today. We have Australian Supersport Superbike Champion, ex-MotoGP rider, Brian Starring. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, boys. <laughs> uh, thanks for the invitation. I'm uh, I'm really honoured to be on uh, and, yeah, to, I don't know, talk chew the fat, I guess, yeah. about uh, all things motorcycle racing with yeah. a, a couple of young guys that are having a good crack at in the potty world um and you know also in the in the industry in general yeah yeah absolutely no we appreciate you coming on mate it's um it's massive for us and Again, it's just awesome. So it is. thank you. It is. We've already been gas bagging to each other. We were just at a cafe before and yeah. uh, it was just rolling from there. It was good stories and uh, lots to talk about in the MotoGP world and motorcycling just in general, really. Yeah, we should have hit record back then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. But, um, oh, well, we'll have to see what, what we can reproduce here yeah, now. Yeah, that's now, right. that, now the red light's flashing. That's I'm right. sure we'll be fine. We'll definitely <laughs> get it rolling, that's for sure. Uh are you still keeping up to date with all the MotoGP international stuff? Yeah, generally. Like, um, I watch as much as I can of a, a lot of different sport, but like the the priority is always MotoGP and World Superbike. Like, yeah. um, that's what always gets the when there's every weekend. There's so much to choose from. Um, I'm also like I pretty keen cyclist and in, in the cycling world, and I watch a lot a lot of that from the mountain biking to the road cycling. But always the priority is to watch the Grand Prix yeah. um, and then to watch World Superbike and then whatever else I can fit in. But typically that one weekend of racing drags out across the rest of the whole weeknights yeah. Yeah. To, to catch up. Um, and then I guess to expand on that, the real truth is far out, I fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there, yeah, don't yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time. <laughs> I, we actually got a new couch. Um about probably about six weeks ago. Far out. I need, I really I really could have done that thing a few years ago. It is so so good, and it's been so bad for uh, for you know seeing any race end. Oh, that's <laughs> so funny. It is that. true. We always talk about it though. In Australia, we kind of are lucky that it's on a Sunday night to watch the European rounds because you don't have to blow your whole Sunday. You know, go to birthday parties or something like that. You miss GP like a Sunday night. You kind of relax. You eat dinner. You watch it. Like it's it's easy. Definitely. Well, you know, even what's better again is when you're on the Perth time zone. Yeah, yeah true. Because uh, MotoGP starts at either 8 or 9 o'clock. Oh, um, God, so And uh, so really, like, honestly, I've got not too much excuse <laughs> to be falling asleep. But um, but the West Australian time zone is just the absolute perfect time zone to be watching motorsport. Yeah. Uh, like I think Moto3 normally starts around 5 or 6 o'clock. So, yeah, you know, that's the ultimate it is the ultimate. <laughs> that's perfect. Best time zone in the world. <laughs> I'm moving to Perth. Yeah, I know. And for the beaches. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> oh, no, I love it. What's uh, what's your thoughts on Grand Prix racing these days? Obviously, you've raced in it. Um, how do you kind of see it now for the outsider? I guess, you know, you've got that in-depth detail in it, but just as the outsider watching it now. Um, I think it's probably more enjoyable than ever to, to, to watch like the, the level of competition there is really astronomical. And like, I think it's, I don't even think MotoGP, the corporation itself could have imagined it would ever be so competitive. Mm. Um, you know, I guess let's just say anecdotally, but like, um, if you look back through all the years, I mean, to have the riders qualify within the, the time gaps that they are now and the, you know, 
for Q2, that best lap time of Q2 to be so close to what Q1 is, mm. the level is so incredibly high. Um, I kind of feel like it doesn't always guarantee the best racing, but even even I say that as a generalization across even with our ASBK racing, sometimes super tight qualifying means drawn out races. But um, But anyway, like... MotoGP is such a great phenomenon at the moment and uh, it's so exciting to watch. Yeah, massive, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's great to see that field much closer now um, and that gap closed, I guess, as well between the factory teams and the non-factory teams. I honestly, I kind of feel like it's a bit of a joke now, this non-factory team thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't – yeah, my opinion is that um, – that, it was always a bit of a joke that, um, you know, a, a non-factory team gets to put their bike up there on the podium anyway. You know, it's such a it's such a privilege and an honour in any world championship series to actually earn your spot up there on the podium. I just, I kind of always thought when Donna, um, you know, allowed the, the non-factory first rider to be up there, oh, it doesn't sit super well with me. Mm. But, um, but now... We can see non-factory bikes. Um, I mean, especially Ducatis, the, yeah. the the older model bike that the commentators love to refer to as something that's unrideable almost. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. We can see that bike win races. We can, well, it's not week in week out, but it happens pretty close, close enough. Yeah, yeah. And even expanding on that, Marco Bezzecchi, he's re-signed with not. He had the chance to really ride a, a factory, factory bike, bike, and he turned it down to be with his pal Valentino. Yeah. Um, I still think that's crazy. Like I'll be going jumping on a factory bike, but it shows how good, you know, how far they've come and how harmonious that team is. Yeah, exactly. It shows all all those things, and uh, I'm sure that they must have carved out a better deal for him. But you know, for 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 a rider, especially a young rider that wants to win a world championship, to not choose, uh, you know, on paper what's mm. the best opportunity to win is an enormous decision to go against. Yep. Um, but I think that honestly it brings back the point that there's not much difference. That's a great point. It is, yeah. Do you, do you think though someone like a Marco Bezzecchi in VR46 or a Jorge Martin in Pramac can win the world title or do you reckon it'll always still come down to like a factory Ducati or Repsol Honda, obviously not anytime soon, yeah. but you know, a full factory team. Mm. Um, yeah. I think that they couldn't definitely win with the, the right rider, the right rider yeah. team bike combination. It doesn't have to be the official team to win. Um, and as soon as the thing is that really, all those teams are like development teams for riders until the, the official guys take them off their hands, um, whether they lure more money or just purely like what we spoke about a second ago, the opportunity of better equipment. Mm. So, um, you know, that's really now is a is more chance we'll see it than ever because Ducati have so many damn bikes in the grid. Um, <laughs> yeah. So all those bikes are competitive. Yeah. Um, and definitely we could see one of those riders win. Do I actually think those specific riders that you mentioned can win? Not, well, probably not Not in the next couple of years. Yeah. yeah not, okay. not unless they sort of continue to, to develop, I guess, really, just out of 
consistency yeah. from what yeah. I think of the results. Yeah. 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 We we'll, we're talking about that with uh, Jorge Martin and obviously we're just armchair experts, but um <laughs> he seems like he's I take Mark Marquez out of it because I still think he's got the most talent on the grid, personally. But he looks like he's just got so much pure speed but just can't get it together every weekend where Peko Banyaya has nailed it. Just nailed it. And we've always been pretty harsh on Peko. But now after Masano coming back after that monster crash, which I want to get your thoughts on, um, he just seems like he's riding like a world champion. And it seems like now the Italians are really getting behind him. Like, look, look at Masano. Everyone chanting his name. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Peko is like, yeah, yeah. I feel like he's just 2% better than the rest of the guys at every single part of the sport. And then by lap 20, whatever, checkered flag time, it's made the difference again. Yeah. That's yeah. a good point. And, yeah. um, Certainly, as far as um, yeah, Jorge Martinez goes. Like, um, did I say that right? Who we, we Ma- Martin, Martin, yeah. Martin, Martin. Sorry, um, uh, he's so much. He's just so much more raw. Yeah, yeah. And uh, really, I mean, getting away from the question, but like when uh, when the official Ducati team last year were looking at the rider to take Miller's spot, for me, there was absolutely no point in changing the rider for either of those two that they were looking at. Oh, that's a great point. Because um, Miller was at, at least only as consistent as what they both were. Mm. Either of them had, in my opinion, shown anything more than mm. what Miller was definitely capable of and they already knew, you know, he's sort of uh, – they, they knew him so well as a rider. Yeah. Um, so, like, really I was surprised by Ducati manage. You know, I have no – contact communication nothing yeah. just this is honestly my just outside yeah. perspective of it but um but like i thought it was an unnecessary uh move that they made in in filling that spot with another rider that's still raw mm, yeah great point. point and jack was the ultimate wingman too when we look at it from that point of view and i don't think bastianini nor martin if given the seat will be that rider because they'll want to be the number one as well and i think miller was happy to play that ultimate team role. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly the scenario. And and really, I mean, the more um, they look at trying to put someone more and more and more competitive into that seat, the more likely they are to get Peko off guard. Um, Correct. Yep. And, I mean, I know that's a – it sounds probably like a contradiction because as a team owner, why would you not want the two absolute best riders in, uh, in your team? But – um, keeping the harmony across across the whole team, mm. uh, I think is is really probably more important than than um, having the two best guys on paper. Because uh, I mean, well, if you, could, you only have to look back to to Rossi, uh, yeah, Lorenzo, yeah, you know, and then there's a, a wall up between the, yep. the yeah. pit boxes, and um, certainly like, I mean, the way that especially Ducati now are so good at celebrating their victories. Yeah. Like I've never, I don't think any, I don't think any, any of us have seen that in Grand Prix racing before where there's like, it looks like a, an actual party in the pit box. Yeah. And that must be a pretty damn good environment to be in. Um, so I think they're sort of playing with fire trying to. Yeah. That's a great trying point. Trying to do the best pairing. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's it is true, and like they they are breeding so much talent, but there's going to be a point, you know. And Jack was again the perfect wingman, but there's going to be a point where it's going to we're kind of waiting. We've spoken about this. It's to boil over yeah. where you know Martin's going to crash a party, or either or even like something like. Bezeki and Banyaya fight for the championship eventually. What's going to happen between VR forty six riders? Like, you know, their egos are going to come through eventually. They're not all yeah. going to be nice guys. <laughs> well, the fallout's definitely coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, I think the the world will watch on with huge interest when it does. Oh yeah, well, um, it's it's inevitable. Yeah, it has to happen. Yeah, and you can start to see it already, like post race presses. And I love the fact that the um, MotoGP is sort of taking the leaf out of F one's book, where they're getting everyone. Uh, together to sort of uh, find those mixed reactions straight after the race. And you can already see when those two are in there together, they're already hanging shit and like, oh, hold on, where did you finish again this week? Mm. So it's already starting like, yeah, they seem like slight little jabs, but sometimes you can tell, especially Peko doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah. So like you said, it's only a matter of time till, you know, I don't think it's going to be like a Biaggi and Rossi scene where someone's going to get a headbutt. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't mind <laughs> yeah. if it goes down that path. Like, yeah. I'm with you. Hundred percent, and I mean the other thing is it's not just it's not just um, the the victory that these guys are fighting for. There's it's a big payday. Yeah, yeah. sure. There's a, a hell of a lot of money involved, um, depending on the position that they finish in, and uh, yeah, like the fallout's coming. Yeah, and I guess all it takes is you know. Bezeki or Banyana take one of each other out on an important race, and Martin races through and takes up a championship lead, and and that could be it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like I'm sure Valentino will be probably like the best at um, managing that situation whenever it arises. Say, yeah. but um, but it's definitely coming. Oh, <laughs> and the thing is too, like we've seen it with the accident missing that main race. The the point swing now with the sprint is just amazing. Mm. It's literally a weekend. If you double up on a weekend, your other um, opponent misses out through something else. Like that really opens the door. Like you said, if they take each other out, cost each other a weekend. Like that can just oh, really throw a spanner in the works. Yeah. yeah. So, how good's MotoGP? That's the best. And it's unreal. What do you think of the sprint racing anyway? Uh, I think that it's awesome. Yep. Yeah. I think that it's awesome. I like, I understand that there's some pushback initially from some of the riders that have been doing it a long time, you yep. know, because I highly doubt they were worth more money this year and they got asked to do more work. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. The game just everything just evolves, yeah. and every now and then it changes and it changes like this. So, um, I mean, I f- I feel like I don't read heaps of stuff from um, websites or MotoGP anymore. Really, I just watch I just watch it. But I mean, I think it's easy to see that the the most outspoken writer was Aspargro, Alash. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, I I get it, but I I can understand his point but like he need he needs to get over that point because um really it's better for everyone the racing yeah. that they're doing right now yeah that's right the racing's so good it's only bringing more attention to them which is only going to make them more money in yeah. in the end if that's what their actual goal is yeah um and um but yeah look uh, on the other side of it as well as, as a rider there's more risk there's a there's way more risk Every time they got to enter the first corner again as a group of riders, there's more risk every time. So the amount of times extra you do that every season, there's all that to be considered. Um, and the workload as a rider over the weekend, 
I can definitely tell you that even without sprint races, by the time Saturday evening comes as a rider, your body is very sore. Mm. It would be. You're already very worn out mm. from the weekends, just from the laps through practice and qualifying. So um, it would be interesting actually to know what their total lap um, tally is for the weekend now versus what it was pre-sprint races. Um, but but still, even if you do the same amount of laps, when you've got to do more of them in a row and you can't stop or come back into the pits or find an excuse to get a breather or whatever it is that every rider has to do from time to time to to get through a session, um, yeah, it's harder. The longer you've got to stay out there for, the harder it is and the more sore you are on Saturday night mm. and uh, certainly carrying all that fatigue into Sunday I mean, I feel like we don't always see it on TV because like, oh, I, I, whenever I take my helmet off, I feel like a mess, but I watch the guys on TV do it and they seem to be a hell of a lot fresher. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm also not at their level, but um, uh, I can tell you that they're f- fully feeling the fatigue of the event. Yeah, wow. And I guess somewhere like, you know, Sepang, Malaysia, where the humidity would just really get oh, to you, yeah. like it must be tenfold again yeah um i can't remember when it was but it was a long time ago that uh jeremy mcwilliams told me once he's like brian you wouldn't wish a grand prix race on your worst enemy (laughs) (laughs) and uh uh, yeah until i experienced one i i couldn't really understand i guess it must be i haven't ridden the suzuka eight hour but you know the the guys there's a constant joke about being asked to do a long run at a, at a test for the Suzuka eight hour. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a long-standing joke of the, I think probably the hardest thing that you can do on a motorcycle. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's bloody hard. Yeah. 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 And Suzuka just seems like such a physical track, you know, it's just, it, it's almost doesn't let, let up. Like there's constantly, you must be fighting the bike. Yeah. You know? It's, it's the heat as much as anything else. Yeah. I mean, the, even the, um, Asian Superbike series races that I've done, like, Sometimes you're racing on a. I've raced on a 68 degree track temperature, and oh, wow. that's and my the boot, the sole of my boots, the glue was destroyed, and I lost. They peeled like I lost the sole of my boots. Yeah, wow. Um, Shit. It's those hot races that that are a thousand times worse. And Grand Prix race distance, like, uh, is it? I can't think now. It's like forty to forty-five minutes. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, world superbike race distance is more like thirty-five minutes. And I can tell you, the the longer that you're out there, it's like exponentially difficulty level increases, and yep. like just the heat build up in your body. Um, yeah. When the last lap comes, I feel like it's less common to see now, but. Uh, <laughs> the riders I was always racing against immediately the suit gets zipped down. Yeah. Yeah got to get air in, air in and like when you get back to the pits, there's been times when like desperate to get your helmet off. The helmet is burning, <laughs> burning oh, your head. That's nuts. And like me. has to come off. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, I don't know how I got on that tangent, but there you go. <laughs> no, nah, it's good to know. It's good. It's great to know. What do you think of uh, like Banyaya and a crash? Like what was your first thoughts when you saw it and how – mentally strong do you have to be to then come back the next yeah, do what he did yeah the next rounds only a week later get run over by brad binder and double podium in your home track so there's extra pressure they're wearing yellow which, which, the extra which looks laps amazing too, like we just touched on yep. You know? yep yeah 
Um, I guess first, like first thing I thought when I saw the accident, like say immediately afterwards, honestly, just relief. Cause it's like the last yeah. thing that we want to witness on at any time, yeah. but on live TV is a rider being killed. Um, and that's like absolutely what the risk is at the start of, of any motorcycle race. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. And then after my, yeah, okay. Like he's live. Um, wonder what his leg's like because we all just saw his leg get run over. Yeah. Uh, and then like incredibly, he's like, I don't know about saying his leg's fine, but let's say, you know, for the severity of the accident, his leg's fine. Yeah. Um, so, but then also like there was the, the, the incident that was unrelated in the first corner of, as well. Um, and it sort of just like added to the drama of, of the opening lap of that mm. Grand Prix um, and, uh, I can also say from left field, anytime where the circuit has a chicane as an opening corner, always the risk of a first turn pileup 10 times more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. I've never really thought of that to yeah, be honest. No, neither yeah. I, I mean, I think I worked that one out for myself, but a long, <laughs> a long, a long time way. ago. Yeah. Um, if you look back at the history of like, um, Monza world Superbike. You know, oh, fast, yep. fast, um, fast front straight, hard on the brakes, and then into a very tight chicane, guaranteed pileup. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Barcelona is a bit more open, but still, any time where there's a change of direction like that here in Australia, there's like Winton, yeah, and often be the same when the riders are going to change direction rapidly, um, and they're also piled up. I mean, Masano wasn't so different. If you look at last weekend's racing, where you saw Peko and uh, and um, who was the other rider at the opening? They re- they did the replay on that a thousand times at the end. Uh, um, I don't know what you're talking about. And the two Ducatis, like they touched. Yeah. Oh, Bez in the sprint. Yes, was it? yes, yeah. Yeah. Bez. Yes. Um, yeah, it was. That's just. I mean, okay. There's no first. It's not. You're not guaranteed a first home pileup, but. Something's the chances of it happening yeah. with the chicane as an opening corner way higher. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it's um, and I've never thought of that really, to be honest. Uh, with with MotoGP, it on our podcast, it, this is half our talking topics, but we always talk about aero. From what have you seen? Do you think it's added more to MotoGP, or has it taken away from racing? Because we're kind of noticing a little bit that front tire pressure is this massive thing and you you can only stay behind a rider for, what, five laps? If you're lucky, depending you know? on the track. And then they got to stay back and then normally, like you watch classic Valentino Rossi, Mark Marquez, all the superstars, they will tail a rider almost all, 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 race. all, all race and then they'll either Rossi was really good at kind of psyching the, the front rider out in front of him or push him wide, um, but they can't seem to do that now. Is that taking away from the sport or is it just a different dynamic on how they should race. Yeah. Um, good question about taking away from it. I guess what, what it's, what it's made, what it's definitely highlighted is the teams that aren't as good with the aero are an immediate deficit. So anyone that hasn't been able to find the right staff member, invest in the right person or invest in the, in that area of, of aero. Um, I mean, it, I don't know why it seems like the Japanese teams are the ones that are struggling with with the development in that yeah. in that space. Um, that's detracted from the racing because the Japanese teams, as we know them, 
they're nowhere near as competitive as yeah, they yeah, always 100%. have been. Yeah. And um, okay, I know that they're also like the commentators say, the Yamaha is looking for acceleration um, and so on. But like definitely the Japanese are still looking for other areas as well in their whole package. Mm. But it seems like they're nowhere near as competitive in this aero game. Um, so they've just been outgunned there and, mm. and, and beaten to the mark. Does it take away from the actual racing outside of that point with some of the teams less competitive? I don't know that it takes away from it, but I'm interested to see where it goes yeah. 10 years from now, even five years from now, really. Because if you look at V8 Supercar, if you look at Formula One, they're all trying to reduce this aero. Yeah, exactly. They're all trying to get away from it to make the racing more exciting. Yeah. Um, and definitely your point is really valid about front tire pressure, like because now it's a huge talking yeah. point for the commentators and like, Probably only five years ago. When the hell did we ever hear that before? No, yeah, never. Was, never. never. Now, like, I question a lot of the races I've had where I'm like, geez, I struggled on the front, I haven't struggled on the front all weekend, and then I got into that race and, like, I just had to get the bike to the finish. Yeah. Like, I couldn't do any extra. And then at the end of that race, like, we've never checked the front tire pressure, you yeah. know? Was that always a thing or is it just now that we're, like, everyone – is educated on it yeah. and we're looking into it deeper yeah. and now we know, but there's, it's also, it's easy to understand that all that aero has put extra load on the front tire yeah. and that now the front tire pressure is critical and, um, and that they're really monitoring it. And like, you only, seems like the riders have been doing, maybe managing it a bit better through the middle of this season because it was only at the start of the year, randomly riders crashing out of races mm. all, the right. yeah. all the time, all the time. Missing all the time zones and stuff like that yeah so um they they're definitely evolving whether the riders are managing that better or whether the teams somehow are um but you know there's so many intelligent people involved in that circus that they start finding cures yeah. for issues yeah. very quickly um much quicker than you know we recognize as as uh fans watching on tv yeah definitely. for sure it seems like it's something that riders, there's always been things that come up over time and riders can ride around it, but this just seems like one where they can't to a degree, you know? Yeah. Um, for me, the thing that I enjoy the most out of the Grand Prix racing is Simon Crafer. Yeah. yeah. He's a legend. He's so good. And like never never would I watch a practice session of, of, of the Grand Prix. I mean, I almost have a rule against it because uh, <laughs> I've got to limit the TV time. <laughs> yeah, fair. But um, I would watch any session where he's in that commentary booth. Yeah. Because for me, it's, it's I don't know, I mean, his knowledge base is fascinating yeah. and the way that he can access the information from the teams is also fa fascinating and what he brings to the table as far as information to give to the viewers, like – Whatever he's been paid, double it, triple it. Yeah, definitely. That guy is, that guy is yeah. bringing everything to us from MotoGP. Yeah. Diagnosing it all. Yeah. And firsthand experience. Like he was obviously a Grand Prix racer, raced those notorious 500s. Like, so he's got yeah, he knows big balls. Yeah, he definitely knows what's <laughs> Yeah, 100%. And I mean, anytime there's any accidents or anything now, I, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I feel like the commentators are almost reserved to, um, to, 
make a statement on what's just happened until mm. they get the news from Simon. Yeah, yeah. he's normally the one that, that yeah, they go to true. straight away. He's normally the one speaking up. But like you said, like definitely the man needs a raise because he's even doing stuff on Instagram, TikTok, mm. like short clips of, you know, what's consistent of the forks on the bikes or their brakes or just so many things. I think he's even like running one of their like tech pages on Facebook. Yeah. So it's absolutely bonkers what he's doing. Without him, that'd be screwed. Yeah. I mean, um, oh, I met him years and years and years ago and, uh, I mean, he he wouldn't know who I am. But, um, but uh, yeah, geez, he's just got so much to offer and, like, he, he created this thing that was Moto Voodoo and anyone that's been following him for a long time or before he was brought in as a commentator for, for Moto GP, he had this rider education class series tutorial um yeah and it's called moto voodoo and like the stuff he was doing on street bikes to um working at most track days and so on around spain and around most of europe far out the level of um detail that he was offering as a as a rider coach basically like incredible and just absolutely smoking the back wheel (laughs) for sure (laughs) everywhere on these sports bikes and i can tell you that that's it's not that easy to do to spin a bike up like that. It's not that easy, um, especially to control it the way that he's doing it. So, like, hands down, that guy is phenomenal. Yeah, he's an animal. Uh, that's sure. cool. If I was spinning up the back wheel, I'd be launching me very quickly back over. <laughs> yeah, it'd be very much on accident if I yeah. did something like that. For sure. No chance. <laughs> yeah, I've learned the hard way a few times. <laughs> he did eight laps around Phillip Island and he broke his bike. So, the bike bloke. blew up. Yeah. 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 So well, about that. No, yeah, that's that's not a very good Sorry. entry into it. No, nah, definitely it. not. We won't name the brand. <laughs> Keep that one under wraps. Uh, uh, but I mean, speaking about Phillip Island, what's one of your, I guess, favorite Aussie tracks, and maybe f- some of your favorite tracks from around the world? Like, yeah, um, I guess, I guess Phillip Island has to be. I guess it is my favorite circuit here. Yeah. Um, I kind of almost feel the reason I I hesitate to say that is just like. I have done more laps of Phillip Island Circuit than I've had hot dinners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. We've just been there so much. We yeah. race there, you know, at, sort of at least three times a year at least. And then we always test there at the start of every year and at the end of every year it's where we are. Um, and then, yeah, so and across all the years, just like I've just done so many yeah. laps at Phillip Island. So um, I'm definitely not sick of it. I don't say it like I'm sick of it like that. Yeah. It's It's just that. I've I've just done it so much. Um, is it still my favourite? I don't know. How many chicken palmas can you have before it's not going to be your favourite meal anymore, you know? Ask Tommy, mate. Yeah. Quite a few. I was thinking that. <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, look, I'm still going to roll with that. And then uh, internationally, uh, I really love the circuit in the Nürburgring. Yeah, okay. Yeah. In Germany, yeah. Um, that that circuit was in the World Two Bike Series when I was racing in Superstock, through like um, early 2010s. Yep. And uh, oh, in all my life, the amount of races I've done, there's only I could count on one hand the amount of pole positions I've ever had. So like very rare that I ever got one. Um, but I did qualify on pole there, and I ended up crashing out of that that going back 10 years for the World Superstock Championship. Yep. But the circuit there and the undulation that it's got. Um, the layout, mm. probably, I don't know, probably even some of the history of the old circuit that yeah. goes around the outside yeah, of that. Yeah, the or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah, that that probably has some impact on on, yeah. the, on 
just the ambience. Yeah, or, it's historic, I guess. It's, it's so historic. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a oh, – the last time I was there, which was, again, a long time ago, but they're building a bloody roller coaster there, like <laughs> – there's not going to see that at Philip Island. They have a go kart track, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's for me. That was yeah. that was really cool, and it's an adventure when you go to the Nurburgring because um, you know you can take your your crappy hire car out to that old circuit, and you pay twenty euro, and then you just gold. free to go. That's cool. Yeah, free wow. to go. I mean, I feel like there's so much legislation to get through in Australia to <laughs> yeah. do anything. Never anything that, like yeah. that and uh they just let you loose in a, <laughs> in a crappy little three-cylinder hire car and there's you know gt touring race cars <laughs> that are out there on the course with you and yeah. far out they come up in your mirror fast um <laughs> but nonetheless like i don't care how shit your car is you get you get any car out yeah. there on that old circuit and you have no idea what's around the next corner because the circuit's so long and you're yeah. just doing one lap it like is a massive thrill. It oh, is a yeah, massive thrill cool. to thrash anything around mm. there. Um, and then even adding to the spectacle on that is like you come across this this um, flatbed truck that's going around and collecting all the motorcycles that are just against the barriers, <laughs> like literally against the barriers. And, and, you know, I don't think I saw an ambulance, but like, <laughs> but good. I mean, there must have been, six bikes on the just wow, on shit. the back of this thing the lap that i just happened to be out there you know i guess that's world two bike weekend you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, there's true. more more riders there but um 20 euro go for your life that's yeah cool. that's mad i'm gonna make this trip over there then i think the cleanup fee is a bit expensive but for that uh, flatbed to come out i think they charge you a few thousand euro if you've been it <laughs> yeah okay yeah and, well yeah. yeah i feel sorry for the high car companies all just getting thrashed <laughs> around the ring <laughs> seriously yeah. What was it like, uh, uh, you know, racing around Mugello through Valentino's era? Was it, do you take, and not just specifically Mugello, but when you're racing, do you take in the spectacle of the fans? Do you hear them, you know, or you're just so in the zone and it's not a thing? Yeah, I guess, um, like, I just did that once. I just yeah. had one year in the Grand Prix. Uh, and, oh, yeah, it's it's incredible to be to be anywhere where Valentino was even close to, was just like I don't know how, how I don't know how to describe it, but just an influx of people. Mm. If you happen to be near where he was in the paddock, like shit, someone to rip the hat off your head on your scooter, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I mean, not that that was super common, but like it, I tell that story because it happened. Yeah, 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 you know, or like if you ended up if your camper was happened to be parked near his camper. Disaster. Yeah, wow. Like, I've just been on for young and old. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, don't worry, not that I was ever in a motorhome like his, but <laughs> we're in the yeah. same paddock, that was all. Um, so, yeah, like, can you – yeah, yeah, you can hear the fans. You yeah. can hear the fans on the motorbike. Like, you know, I was uh, definitely not, not close enough to the action on the racetrack <laughs> to be uh, where the crowd were cheering because <laughs> we were a long way apart. Yeah. Um, but uh, – yeah, to to add to the spectacle of of being a rider, and I think, um, you know, yeah, it's not often you get to tell a story about different little stuff like that that mm. that you got to maybe enjoy uh, uh, in your time racing. But certainly, oh, pretty pretty special. Yeah, to be in the paddock with with such legends that um, 
oh, shit, just to be a rider on the grid, yep. you're given a lot of respect yeah, um, for sure. from, from all the fans really, uh, but in some countries more than others. Um, but, yeah, there's probably not too many things that I really like in not going too deep into it that I, I really appreciate or respect mm. out, of, out of my experience in that paddock. But, um, but certainly like in saying those experiences and reflecting on it now, definitely a big – Definitely a big highlight. Yeah, um, sure. And really, not often that someone asks you a question like that, you get to tell a story. So yeah, um, yeah. Nah, oh, yeah, it's there you cool. Go. Like we are, as you can already tell, massive nuffies. So like, it's <laughs> so interesting to hear it from you know firsthand, yeah. and especially being in Australia, we're so far away from it. So uh, we we're just talking about this before. Like we we only see one MotoGP race a year. You know, if you live in Spain, you can shoot off to five or six how many you want so when they come to it or you speak to someone you know we take it in so much more yeah we appreciate we, it a lot more. We, yeah that's right we appreciate it so much so it's just yeah interesting to hear but going from obviously europe what do you think of the australian motorcycle racing now obviously in asbk doing your thing there um but just as a whole you know how how do you see that even with the fan bases the racing now is it dived is it on its way up Mm. Um, that's just like such an open question to answer. Um, and like, uh, where do I want to start with it? Mm. Um, ASBK, ASBK is on the up. Yeah. ASBK is definitely on the up. Um, say for like, I'm, I'm going to say for what I think of spectator interest, spectator attendance, um, like reach from, from a writer's point of view, I think that it's, it's on the up and we're getting more interest. Also, I think the TV coverage is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, but then on the, on the other side of that, like the series management, mm, there's a lot of pretty unhappy writers, teams, people, um, with, with the way that it's been sort of conducted at the moment. So there's definite room for improvement there. And, um, I'm always going to say like so much, so, so much so that, Within a few years, if there's not some change, there is definitely room for a breakaway series. Yeah, yeah wow. Okay. I feel like that's just probably just to th- I throw that out there just maybe to highlight. I'm going to say the level of um, of the unhappiness from the teams. So um, so then now that I've been around long enough, mm. like that happened ten years ago. Yep. Yep. Well, maybe it was not 10 years ago now. It was probably more like 14 years ago, but, um, it could happen again. Mm. So, um, yeah, there's like heaps of little things that need to be improved about the series, but, um, but not everything's bad. Yeah. And, um, there's, yeah, there's a hell of a lot of positives. The, I feel like, I think the racing's still really good. Um, and, uh, the racing's definitely a high level. Mm. Um, like, for me personally this year, like I haven't been at the front of the races um, or racing towards the pony end, but like, geez, from what um, the riders that, that are there at the front, like, geez, they're putting some incredible, uh, they're at a, an incredible level. Mm. The lap times they're producing, what they're able to do in racing, um, I'm only envious <laughs> because <laughs> because uh, my performance isn't quite there, but um, but they're setting a bloody high standard. Yeah, at the front, and um, and yeah, I think that I think that that's recognised certainly by the teams, by the spectators. Don't know, mm. can't say, but like say the lap times that we saw from the guys at the front at, 
um, Morgan Park, which was a long time ago now, about about three months. Mm. ASBK management since the last <laughs> yeah, race. Yeah, if you're yeah, listening, it's a long time. About three it's months. Way too long. Yeah. Anyone that can remember that race that was yeah. the last one we had three oh, months ago. That's all right. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. It's uh. It's there's heaps of good stuff happening in ASBK. Yeah. So yeah. it's still, I think it's still exciting. Yeah, it definitely is. Like I can vouch for it. Obviously, I uh, watched you guys at the start of the year at the Superbike round. Yeah, and I was there for all the racing. I thought it was absolutely unbelievable. Like, like you said, it's just amazing to see so many homegrown talents doing what they do and performing at such a high level. Like, you just freak out and go, "Geez, these guys aren't far off." Or like, you know, it's it's a shame that they're not there, or we're only there for so long. So it's really, really good to see. And I watched you guys up in Darwin as well over the TV. So it's been great to watch. Um, even through the, the lower classes, the super sport classes, mm. and even the 300 classes, seems like there's a great pathway now for the juniors coming up to to make that next step. Mm. Yeah, definitely there is. Um, and like, yeah, I think it's the ASBK management that, that need a pat on the back for that. Yeah. The, the Oceana Junior Cup. Yeah. Yeah, it's yep. brilliant that. It's fantastic yeah. series. It's it's really good. Um, I don't know all the details, but uh, I can't remember in that I can't remember the numbers. But I think it's very affordable racing. Yeah, it's very affordable racing for a sport that's you know going to other the other extremes as far as for affordability goes. So um, you know, I think that those junior parents are pretty good at, at making it, being able to spend a lot out of it. Yeah, even yeah. though they got given an opportunity to not spend too much money. I think they all go back home and spend way more, <laughs> but, um, uh, I can't, <laughs> I can't chip them for that really. They only want the best for their kids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the series is great. Like the fact that they've got Gary McCoy there. Oh, uh, that's, that's brilliant, isn't it? Like, you that's know, just, yeah, that's really cool. I, I, I actually, mm, I'd be interested to find out from the parents how much, they really appreciate having Gary McCoy there. Yeah. But like certainly the we can't expect the kids to know um Gary's yeah. past, but like the parents should and mm. um and so should all the other people involved with that making sure that he's listened to and that um really I don't know, I'm gonna say like he shouldn't be questioned. Mm. He sh- if he says it's green, it's green. Yeah. yeah. Like listen to the man when he speaks. Yeah. Yes. This man deserves a lot of respect. Oh yeah. Um, you know, he's one of very few people that ever worked out how to beat Valentino. Not yeah. that he could do it consistently, but he did but it. He did it. Man, just winning a Grand Prix. Just being on a Grand Prix paddock, let alone winning a Grand Prix is that's pretty bloody impressive. Yeah. Stuff and, of dreams. Yeah, and he rode in a style like that was oh, fucking sick yeah. to watch. Like he was uh, sliding oh, that thing everywhere. Way ahead of his time. Way ahead, yeah. Way ahead right. of his time. Yeah. Um, on a two-stroke, I was going to say, especially on the bikes that he yeah, was on, spit you over, man. Yeah, to have that control, yeah, hundred um, percent. So really, now I think as a path for um, what I see from the young kids that come, like OJC, fantastic opportunity, and then um, this Asia Talent Cup, seeing a lot of riders go through to that, um, and then also to Red Bull rookies. Uh, so it seems like there's a pathway there for riders to go very young. Um, if they choose to, if they've got the finance behind them to do that, um, obviously like uh, I don't think a- that Asia Junior Cup, the Talent Cup or Red Bull <clears throat> Rookies, like I don't think that's necessarily an affordable pathway yeah. unlike yeah. OJC. But um, if you can give your child that opportunity, mm. then it's definitely a fantastic career path. Um but like also 
now if you stay now if your child stayed and he's 17 years old and racing in Australian Supersport finally Australian Supersport is back on the up yeah the racing at the front of that field is fierce and competitive um and for a long time I'm going to say for like basic hmm, I've been in and out of the country a bit, but like for the last 15 years, Supersport's been pretty dead in Australia. Yeah. It lost all the support from the manufacturers yeah. when 600s have become less important for yeah, the manufacturers to sell. Yeah, that's a good point. And um, I mean, we saw the same happen in World Supersport, but they've just done a better job of propping it up. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, Australian Supersport now is really good again. Uh, so like we're definitely going to see riders start to come through from that into Australian Superbike um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I might have some more competition for my spot on the grid. <laughs> but, uh, At least it's healthy. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. It's healthy. Yeah, and that's what we want to see, you know, and it brings everyone so much pride and joy to see um, Australian riders achieving big things on the world championship stage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone loves seeing the kid that they've seen at the go-kart track that, that they mm. – Two years later, they can watch that kid on a Sunday night in Moto3 yeah. Yeah. or, you know, whichever category it happens to be in. Yep. Um, like, so, you know, I really encourage the rest of the fans to really get behind those riders that are doing that and having a mm. crack because uh, it takes so much commitment to be yeah. there from from all the family. You know, there's like not that many families that happen to be luckily so fortunate and well off that it's an affordable thing yeah. to do. You know, or even if it is affordable, it's still a huge commitment because maybe their super successful business requires them to be away from it. Yeah. So you're putting a lot on the line. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No matter which angle you want to look at it, um, it's enormous to have a young child in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. That's massive. And it's great seeing someone like Joel Kelso. And we hope, you know, we're massive fans of his on the pod and we just hope that he can secure a ride for next year as well. But um, it's great. Like he's qualifying well. Yep. You know, he's thrown in some great races, some great results. So, like you said, just brilliant seeing someone like that, you know, doing what he does. Kelso's incredible. Like, his his pathway, uh, I'm not going to claim that I know it off the back of my hand, but he worked his way through a lot of crap championships. And he has been super persistent. Mm. Um, really, probably probably more persistent than really any other young Australian rider. Um, and he's from Darwin. Yeah. yeah. Not much out there. Tough, tough going. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm from Perth. There's just one race. Tra- well, okay, the, technically there's two, but I'm going to say there's just one racetrack there. Yep. Same in Darwin. Um, it's yeah, and not that my career compares to his, but um, but it's it's huge for him to be just at where he is now mm-hmm. on a world championship grid. You know, top team, and and okay, he's probably not super proud of his racing right now. But he's qualifying on the front row of Grand Prix. Yeah. yeah. The world knows who Joel Kelso is and uh, it's only a matter of time until they work yeah. the rest of the day out. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, I hope he keeps mm. his persistence and finds yep. his little spot there because um, he's doing incredibly well. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it just speaks volumes, obviously, of where he's come from to be where he is now, of his character and his you know, determination to just stay at that level and be there. Yeah. Rub shoulders with everyone else, hundred yeah. like, percent. You know, we love that. Like, you know, fucking tough it out and get there and get the job done. So, 
fingers crossed we can see more of it. Mm. And that's yeah. the beauty, I think, as fans, especially with Aussies, but with everyone, that's the beauty of Moto3, Moto2, Moto GP, and even from World Super Sport, from Aussie Superbikes to World Super Sport to World Superbikes, you can watch them progress through their career. Like, you know, how many careers have we all watched progress through Moto3, like Jack Miller, you know? And then, you know, he's now, I wouldn't say on the tail end of it, but he's now one of the elder statesmen, I guess, on the grid, you know? I remember watching him when I was in high school, like, ages ago. And it's just incredible to see the rise of people. But as you said, it's such a hard slog. And we don't see that, obviously, but, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. There's, I mean, there's so much more to it at the end of the, like every year as the rider and you don't know what your contract or you're out of contract, you don't know where it's coming from or what it's going to be and you're like desperate to mm. be there again, desperate to be there and would do anything. And, uh, yeah, navigating those paths like and it, every year, every year it comes time again and you're like back in that same position. You need to be thinking about your next move and like who you need to be talking to and like there's just so much more to being consistently in Europe in a Grand Prix team mm. than riding the motorbike. There's just so much more to it than that and having your wits about you and um, yeah, doing all the things off the racetrack that you need to do to continue to establish yourself um, because the reality is like, okay, if you win everything and you're a childhood superstar and dream, yeah, all those things aren't as difficult. But you can, yeah, not everyone gets to be yeah, that. Not yeah, not everyone's that. Yeah, not yeah. many of them. And and making sure you've got your spot again each year, like it's just so much more difficult than probably what like the world can really appreciate. So, yeah. um, so definitely that's even more of a reason why like you know, the Australian motorcycle community need to completely get behind yep. these young kids that are just pouring everything into it. Yeah. And th they know it's their only opportunity. Mm. They know it's their, that's their, like, if they you can't have a year off when you're 17. No, you got to go. Yeah. Every year you have to make it happen. Yeah. You have to make it happen every year. It's a great point you make. And I think, um, we always harp on about it. And for us, we always try and follow all the young guys coming through, but I think the Australian media does really lack on awareness. Oh, like definitely. We look at the Lawrence brothers in motocross. Jet went undefeated 22-0 in AMA motocross, like in his rookie year. That is so outlandishly crazy to do that and deserves so much respect. And, you know, he got... 30 seconds. 30 seconds on Channel 9. <laughs> yeah, he went know? was in Townsville or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, like Sunshine Coast Channel 9. Like... I think he ended up finally getting a clip on something on Sunrise or something like that. But it takes that type of effort for an Aussie to even get recognized. So I just feel like we get such a hard slog from the media because it should be easier for these guys coming through because it's so much easier to get backing, you know, if there's you've got eyes on you. But you could be Jet Lawrence and still no one from Australia knows who you are. Yeah, I think unfortunately it doesn't matter how incredible your performance is unless the sport that you're in is, a, yeah. um, you know, perceived as popular then or, or popular in general, then you've just got to fight for that, yeah. for that uh, media attention. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I don't know Jet Lawrence, but I don't think he cares about how much media attention he probably gets yeah. here. Yeah. But we know that he deserves more. Yeah. And, um, you know, probably, probably no one will take 
or pay any attention until they see him on Forbes top 10 earners of That's right. the rich list yeah, for Australia. Yeah, oh, who point. is this? What is he, 20? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How is this 20-year-old kid <laughs> earning so much money? I don't know if learn his name quick smart. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. right. So I've got to ask, I'm a massive Superbike fan and the boys give me shit about it, right? <laughs> I want to know, I want to get your thoughts on the gap between Supers and MotoGP in terms of its fan base, in terms of the quality of riders, in terms of the quality of racing. I just want to pick your brain a bit and see what your thoughts are. Because like I said, I personally think because there's no or minimal error there, it's much better. We always see more, you know, battles where there's two, three, maybe even four guys that are staying behind each other all race and, you know, with a bigger finish. Yeah. Um, first off, I'm only offended by whoever would be giving you shit about being a Superbike fan. <laughs> Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. That's the fella in Bali, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, come on. You guys team up with me. Don't, don't backtrack now, mate. I can't help it sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, look, like uh, – World Superbike really is like was always my destination is where I, I sort of wanted to race and because we grew up racing production bikes here yeah and majority of the riders from Australia have had the most success I'm going to say that before I know the really the stats on that but I think it's with World Superbike yeah um whilst we've obviously had very successful riders at Grand Prix level but um yeah oh, World Superbike it's such a painful one at the moment because um. You know, I love it and it's probably just not quite producing the entertainment that we want from it. Yeah. I feel like it started producing it, say, like 12 to 18 months ago yep. and then shortly after one rider became so incredibly <laughs> yeah. dominant yep. uh, that it really has taken away from from its entertainment value. Um, but, like, if the question is why, like, what do I think about that, the gap to the Grand Prix and why – I think the gap is so big between the riders in that um, paddock because the level of the teams is so incredibly different. Yeah, okay. There's definitely a difference in the ability of the riders from those first three guys. Um, yeah, which is clear as day. Yeah, Top Rack, Bautista and um, and Johnny. There's definitely that, that level of um, rider skill set is different from the rest of the riders there. But like after that, personally, I think there's more of a difference in the level of the teams than okay. there than there actually is in the level of the difference between all the rest of those riders. Um, I think that those first three teams, just like the first three riders, if you put them on a Grand Prix stage, they'd be incredibly competitive. And the the other teams, not so much. I don't think so. I don't think they would be. Um, so, like, I think that's why there's, um, yeah, more of a of a gap in the field. It's not. It's also about the components and the bikes and the support that they can get for them as well. Um, so, like, it's incredible, really, that the you know we're talking earlier about how um, fiercely competitive Grand Prix racing is at the moment, and like, World to Bike haven't been able to produce that with mm. all the, just with production based bikes. Yeah, it, it that's hasn't. A good point. Probably haven't seen it since Reading, Top Rack, and Johnny Ray really a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when it was getting back to being its most interesting. Yeah. Um, and then you know, on a personal level, my frustrations with it is like, uh, you know, Johnny wins for so long on the Kawasaki, and um, you know, I raced green bikes for a long time, and yep. and I'm, I'm uh, a bit of a soft spot, but um, 
he always got penalised for winning by so much. They're constantly taking away RPM. They're yeah, constantly yeah, putting right. on the yeah. bike. They like, screwed him over. Yeah, and making it harder and harder and harder for him. And, you know, whilst I think they've imposed some limitations to the Ducati at the moment, like it's not having the same effect. No, it's not costing them as much as what it is Kawasaki. Yeah, and, you know, uh, in World Superbike, Ducati have always got away with murder. Yeah, of course. Um, and now it's not Italian management of the series. Now with Dorna there, it's Spanish management. Spanish mafia, we call it. Yep. Spanish mafia. <laughs> um, but I'm going to say that that hasn't changed. Ducati is still getting away with murder. Um, and uh, yeah, I know it's I know it's up for debate when he's the only rider on a Ducati that's able to do that. But Johnny was the only rider on the Kawasaki that was destroying everyone else. Yes. And he kept getting penalised. That's a great point. Well, prime example on the weekend, I'm not sure if you've seen when he ran up the back, Bautista ran up the back yep. of Rinaldi. Yeah. Should have got a long lap at least. No, nah, free to race. Yeah. Finished second. You know, like you're 100% right. They're a little bit more lenient. Yeah. You know, they, they do, like we say, they definitely look after their own, that's for sure. Oh, I mean, uh, the most obvious one for me weeks ago was um, Silver, Silverstone Grand Prix, I think. Oh, no, it was Assen. It was Assen and, and the um, – when I'm on the spot for names, they never come to my head. The British rider won um, in Moto2. Uh, oh, yeah. Jack uh, Dixon. Right. Don't worry about his name. That's fine. Yeah. Jack Dixon. <laughs> but how disrespectful that Acosta, Spanish – wasn't it? So Spanish – well, you know what? If you're looking back at it now, you'd be um, right in thinking, oh, yeah, was it Acosta that won? Because they showed Acosta – uh, going across the finish line in third place, and they didn't even show Jake Dixon who won the race. <laughs> he won the race and didn't get the media attention from that's it. true. And like, and uh, as a as a okay, I know when the best battle of of the race is on TV and they're racing for third or fifth or seventh place, whatever it is, doesn't matter. The rider that's about to win that race yeah, deserves the respect yeah. of crossing the finish line <laughs> and getting the worldwide yeah. TV media coverage of that. And um, <laughs> Spanish. TV <laughs> that we all see that viewing, they yep. decide uh, who's going to be on TV up. at which time. They film their own super <laughs> yeah, child that's... crossing the line in third place. Um, <laughs> that's a great point. Was that the same round he touched the long lap? Yeah, that's what I was talking about. I think Again, it was the, that was um, another point. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. 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 I think he was on there. I'm pretty sure he was on. Um, oh, mate, I'm telling you, there was green paint on his tyre in Park Fermi. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Guilty? Nah. Nah, not at all. Nah. No, but we seen it happen. I think Martin had happened to in Assen as well. Touched the green. Admittedly, there was no one around him. Yeah, but uh, then Peko but, touched the green. They didn't touch him. Like, but then but you know Binder touched Binder the green, and then every time he's penalised. Every the, time done. Seems to be the nicest guy in the grid as yeah. well. And they, yeah, yeah. So look, I don't know that. Um, I don't know how that relates back to the World Superbike question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, oh, but, we do um, it all the time, but. Yeah, the the gap from from World Superbike to MotoGP, I think that gap's always been there, really. Definitely. And, and um, it takes, uh, I think that it takes the world's most talented rider to come out of that paddock, go into MotoGP paddock and have any success. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because very few riders have done, mm, had had the ultimate success, mm. success there. Like there's a lot of riders that um, come from that paddock and, Kiss podiums, won some races. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's a hell of a lot that you could mention that came from the from that series. Um, but like the the gap will always exist there. Um, and 
yeah, I think the other thing that like definitely, I mean, I was a, a rider of the World Superstock Championship. That's That was my development path into where I was trying to get to World Superbike. And Dorna have done away with that series. Um, so bringing riders through into World Superbike right now, they've lost two two categories. One was World Superstock 600, yeah, yep. Superstock 600 and Superstock, Superstock 1000. Yeah. Um, and like they were – the best categories. They yeah, they, they categories. definitely channeled riders directly into World Superbike or World Super Sport. Yep. And sometimes the riders were really good enough, went straight into the top teams there and had immediate success. Um, and I cannot believe Dorna got rid of those categories. It's um, mind-boggling. And I definitely think that is 100% one of the reasons why there's a bit of a hole yep. in World Superbike right now. Mm. Um World Super Sports kind of taken up the slack, uh, in that there's so many damn riders on the grid, but again, there's not. It's almost like there's not enough teams to support it there. And then because the teams aren't well well off enough, because the teams have to struggle so much, they're asking so much money of the riders to be there, even at a World Super Sport level. Um, mm. And like, I honestly think a lot of that's related back to the fact that Superstock is missing. Um, and it was this as far as world championship motorsport goes an incredibly cheap platform to put young riders on showcase yeah. and, and see which egg doesn't, didn't break, you know, and then take that one, take that egg, yeah, that's it. give that egg a, a crack. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then really, I guess to add one little extra thing is like Petrucci is the best example of, yeah. of a rider that came from, um, world super stock then went straight into MotoGP, um, had enough success in MotoGP to stay there for like 10 years. Yeah. And now he's only finally just made his way back to super. World Superbike. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the, I think I went, I got plucked out of that series, was it the year after Petrucci or a couple of years after Petrucci um, into the Grand Prix, but obviously the, the outcome of my Grand Prix career was highly different <laughs> yeah. to, to his. But um, anyway... That's what World Superstock could have done. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point, though. It's a great point. I was going to say, so being a, a massive Kawasaki fan, a bit, a bit of a soft spot for him. What's your thoughts on Ray's move to Yamaha? Because honestly, I was shocked. Yeah. I couldn't see him leaving. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I guess I think he had no option. Yeah. Okay. I think he was a rider, no matter how much. I mean. Again, without going into details about my own thing, I say like when you're in a great relationship with a team, always say, oh, yeah, Brian, oh, we're family. Oh, we're family. We're family. And then the next minute they're trying to sue you. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think really like seems like Johnny's and and that uh, Johnny's team and Kawasaki and management and everything there does seem like that was family. But the rider has to do what's best for him. and And um, – why Why should he keep having to ride that bike the way he's riding it right now just to finish on the podium? He doesn't have a choice. He, yeah, he's got to go. He had to go. Yeah. He's got to go. Yeah. So, I mean, I watched him on the weekend. I thought, shit, man, like he's still got it. Oh, like, yeah. You know, easy, easy. Probably still the most talented guy on that grid, you know. And I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a fair crack. As, as shocked as I was, I was like, yeah, it's a good point. The Yamaha's a much better bike. Yeah, it it is. It's probably still – it's definitely not as good as a Ducati. But, um, 
but it's certainly a step closer. And like, yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see how it plays out with with Yamaha. But I bet by the time Johnny's finished up racing, he'll be a long term Kawasaki ambassador the rest of his life. Mm, yeah, hundred percent. Right now, this is what he's got to do. That's it. You got to do what's best for yourself. It's going to be interesting next year. I'm actually really looking forward to it with some of the additions, especially like Iannone yeah. getting across to the paddock. I think that'll be a bit of a draw card, hopefully draw some fans back in. Yeah, you know? definitely. Yeah. I mean, fans is another point. Like just watching um, Magnacora on the weekend, far out. It must. It was either like incredibly hot there or, geez, there was no one in those damn grandstands. I know, I know. It was actually crap to see. It was so crap to see. But I feel like that's – steadily been increasing like every year i feel like there's less and less people and we've yeah. talked about it a little bit you know and you know superbikes has gone through its heyday as well they've had they, they were so popular at Definitely. one stage um but we're trying to always kind of figure it out because you know sometimes the racing can be good but maybe as you said there's only three people that can win it where motor gp throw a blanket over the field and that's it yeah win, that's you it. know and yeah Ah, uh, the 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 people go to the racetrack to see the superstars. Yeah. Um, you know, real racing enthusiasts go to watch their their local club racing, but like, um, well, not that you have to do that as a real racing enthusiast, but I think you get the point. Mm. But um, when there's not superstars, mega stars that you go in there to see, and like, it's only it's only probably Dawner's fault that that. Johnny Ray isn't as much of a superstar yep. as what, what Troy be. Bayless was. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's that's just it. That you know, that's what creates all the hype and all the the, the rest. That the racing has to be good to create the awareness and get mm. the following. But like, it's the it's the personalities that yep. the people really get um, uh, connection with. Mm. That's, that's a great point. point. Yeah. I.e. Valentino Rossi, like everyone the personality that's that's it and i think it's just something that we're sort of sort of missing in motor gp as well now trying to find that we're never going to get it obviously that next rossi but just trying to chase that next person who's just going to put themselves out there that little bit more like it's yeah. probably getting harder and harder as well because everything's tightening up so much it's probably yeah. harder to do what you want like valentino rossi rode in the 250s and had a sex doll pretending to be <laughs> naomi campbell bagging out max biaggi like you can't do that anymore <laughs> yeah. as much as i would love to see it not yeah, going to happen. It's definitely not kosher. <laughs> It'll definitely happen one day. <laughs> you know, there's one rider that's just different yeah. that comes through that um, that gets attention that's special, <laughs> and uh, it'll definitely it'll definitely happen. Yeah, um, I hope so. I mean, there's also there's like there's too much pressure on riders to be conducting themselves a certain way um, to to keep sponsorship things happy yeah, or yeah. you get. Like I'm guilty of it myself, you know. You get drilled in the young, being told this is what you've got to do and say and act, and otherwise, and um, otherwise it's a it's a bad look or this outcome won't be what you want or whatever, you know. And and it certainly is a massive deterrent for a young kid to be able to show their personality. Yeah. Um, so like until there's a kid that comes through that doesn't care, yeah, yeah, then and yeah. and has a super talent. That's when you really get it, yeah. excitement again. Yeah, that will be the star. And I guess this leads us on to, we always talk about, and we touched on it before, Formula One, Drive to Survive. It's created, it's boomed that sport massively. Um, and you do see more of their personalities behind, you know, the garage, I guess you could say. 
is that something where you think that should be implemented into MotoGP or even Superbikes? How do you kind of take have a take on that? Uh, I mean, I think it could only have a positive yeah. outcome, really. But, I mean, I think that every single sport on this planet will now have that um, that goal yeah. or that set of precedent. It's obvious what, what that TV show has done for Formula One. Yeah. And so that will become the new pinnacle of what to strive towards. But honestly, I think that my opinion, the um, the the limit will be how much time the fans, us, have to view everything. Yeah, that's all right. True, with everything going on on a, on a mm. race weekend. Soon you'll have your mountain bike hero, your cycling hero. Now they've yeah. already got a Tour de France one. Yeah, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there'll be this competition for all these different sports, tennis. Like you're going to be – up against so much more competition to get these to yeah fight for your attention to watch a series and then the actual racing starts and like already like i definitely can't keep up with all the motorsport and sports on a weekend that i want to watch it's not possible and we've got access to all of it at our fingertips that's right that's very true i was even a golf one now as well it does the same thing and everyone's just fighting to and you're kind of fighting to outdo each other as well so you know maybe some of it could be a front yeah in, in certain aspects, you know? Yeah. Really, what what really what the sports should be doing is trying to be, trying to come up with something else original. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. And look, I'm only 28 years old, but I still see myself as like a racing purist nuffy. And I don't know if I would want MotoGP to blow up like F1 because I don't want to go, like we go to Albert Park and it's great. So the spectacle is amazing, but there's obviously a lot of fake Instagram people yeah. there. And I do not want to see that Phillip Island. I like seeing, you know, I do like seeing the Bogans just sitting there all weekend <laughs> yeah. just drinking JD. Yeah. It's, yeah. They're, they're, and yeah. Superbikes is next level again. They're real fans. Yeah, that's real fans. Yeah. You know, they're different again. I yeah. love that. Um, it would be, we. I think we do still, and you touched on it as well, need to see younger fans come into the sport because um, you look at MotoGP Phillip Island sometimes and it is, it's older guys yeah. and it's, be interesting to see how that evolves in 20 years time you know and how motorcycling looks then and the racing side of it yeah i mean yeah definitely like as for asbk racing the demographic of fans is older yeah too old you know we're, we're racing these sick super fast high technically advanced bikes um and uh it should appeal to younger people but um but you know, that's again, that's the promoter's job yeah. to make the riders big enough names yep. um, to to lure in more crowd, and it, and it's it's at at their interest mostly. Of course, it's in everyone's interest for the sport to generate more attention, mm. but um, yeah, it's up to them to work out why it's not and why younger people are or aren't interested in mm. in the motorbike racing. And it's, I mean. I don't know if it's cop out to say or not, but it's their job to fix. Yeah, um, yeah it's a good the, point. The riders are the riders are doing everything they can. You know, um, personally, like I'm definitely not very big on social media, a very small presence, and choose to share very little. Yeah, but I I post whatever I want to post about the racing and so on. Um, but so many people, so many of the riders are already doing everything. They're doing ten tenths with it. You know, paying someone to go down and record them bloody 
uh, on a weekend's practice day so they can put a clip together on their socials. It's just... Yeah, try to get a bit of reach. Yeah. yeah, cost them a fortune to get out. They're not going to get anything, not in the immediate future. They get nothing mm. back from the photographer they just paid to put that together for. Yeah. They can pr- show it to their sponsors as in hope of getting some, you know, yeah. either showing back. either showing uh, some exposure or creating to, trying to create attention to get someone new on board. Mm. But... Um, the riders are already doing their thing. So, you know, it's up to the, the series promoters to yep. to take something else and run with it and come up with some other, you know, original idea on how to get exposure. Yeah. Um, but, hey, look, I don't know, podcasts like this help. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Just get the name out for everyone. You know, try to be proactive rather than reactive as well. And I guess, like you said, the promoters, it's something maybe they've got to look at. You know, try to get ahead of the game. Try to look at that next thing that's going to, help promote obviously every rider individually but the sport as a whole. Mm. Yeah. No matter what it is. Yeah. And, you know, in the end of the day, budgets rule everything. Of so, course. So, um, you know, ASPK management doesn't have, you know, they're obviously not going to produce a Netflix documentary. <laughs> no, of course yet, not. You know, so like yeah, everyone's got their little means to to get by with and and, and work with what they got. But like, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else I can really touch on with that, but yeah, that's yeah, fair. yeah. So Vic Road Racing champs this weekend. Speaking about some local sport and promoting it, it's going to be a pretty big event. I've heard that there's some massive numbers across a few of the classes. You're going to be down there with uh, your Moto Go Yamaha team. So what's the weekend going to entail for you? What are you looking to get out of it? Yeah. How's it going to shape up? Yeah. Um, yeah. Good. Really happy to be here for Victorian Road Racing Championships. Vic titles. Whoever would have thought the Vic titles would basically be an Australian superbike grid. Um, <laughs> when, yeah, I mean, whilst like I couldn't be happier to, re- to be attending a, a, a smaller event, um, it, is a, it is a bit rich that some, some poor guy that just wants to try and win a Victorian local state championship and he's, he's got to race Troy Herfoss and Mike Jones. Um, <laughs> That's rough. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty rough. Yeah, it is. <laughs> pretty rough. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, look, the, the Preston Motorcycle Club uh, put together a series now that's good enough that it's obviously created the attention from the teams, ASBK teams and riders, um, and where we are all desperate to ride our motorbikes. Mm. Yeah. Um, so like ultimately that's why we're there. We're, we're there cause we need some practice yeah. ahead of, um, the upcoming ASBK race, which is like 29th of October. Yeah. Weekend after GP, I believe. Weekend after the GP. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, of course it would be around that time. Um, so yeah, which I think Australian Superbikes, no, no support race at, um, MotoGP this year. Yeah. I was going to say that's surprising. Yeah. First time in a while. First time that I think I've been racing ever where Australian Superbike hasn't been part of that. Yeah. Anyway, I get it. The last however many years, five, six years, say, um, there's only been like eight or ten riders on the grid at that event. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, look forward to or move across to this championship this weekend, Victorian Road Racing Championship. Is there 40 or six or 46 or 48 riders entered? We're going to have to qualify down <laughs> to get onto the grid for um, for the Vic titles yeah. this weekend. Um, so yeah, that's like, I guess 
any series that's strong enough that can that can create get enough rider demand that it brings entries entry fees and circuit hire down enough to make it affordable to get out there and get decent track time you're going to see good attendance mm. like or it just keeps building on its own momentum so i think probably like um Preston Motorcycle Club have done a great job yep. over the last few years in like building this event year on year and then now look what what it is yeah. fantastic mm. you know um so we've seen basically similar thing happen with um the Sydney Summer Series uh where just huge attendance from riders from club riders to ASPK riders um and it's awesome yeah mm. uh as far as what we want to get out of it this weekend yeah, I mean, first time on the bike for a few months, as I mentioned earlier, since the last time at ASBK. Um, really, it's just a shakedown. Um, I it's the only for me personally, it's the only opportunity for me to have a ride. We've got a um, got a child, first first baby yes. due. Yep, yep, um, yep. Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah, so that's like early early mid October is the scheduled date, and um, there's some more riding that's going to be on back on it at Phillip Island around then, but like I can't commit to it. Yeah. So for me, this is the the only opportunity to get a ride in on, on my super bike. Um, this will just be one weekend on the bike over what will end up being about five month period. Far out, man. That's Bra- nuts. Uh, Bravo ASBK. Thanks yeah. for that. <laughs> Mate, yeah. They got to sort that out. Like, you know, even cause that also falls within MotoGP summer break. So, for us, it, it gives us something to watch. Yeah. So it's definitely something they got to sort out for. And prime example, that'll get the Australian spectators, that'll draw more people in oh. to fill that gap. Yeah. Yeah, great definitely. Point. That's yeah. a great point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, now we finish the series in, in December, which is like, yeah, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> At the bend? <laughs> yeah. We've been giving a lot of shit about the bend. <laughs> we hung a bit on it. We yeah. haven't been there. What's it like as a track? Tell us a bit about it because – you know, we're again armchair experts, so we <laughs> copped it hard. The bend is awesome. Yeah. Like we're we're so lucky to have that venue now available to us um, across all motorsport platforms. Mm. Uh, incredible facility. The circuit's awesome. Yeah, yeah. The circuit is awesome. It's kind of got a bit of everything out there. It's got high speed turns, low speed turns. Yeah. There's elevation. Um, so yeah, look, I'm 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 a really big fan. It's convenient now that the surface has calmed down a bit and we can all go there and do some laps um without chewing tires like it was a big problem initially so now it's like a proper real motorsport venue that's real motorsport racing and um yeah i mean really we could probably be racing there a couple of times a year like we do at phillip island yeah Yeah, that'd be that'd be that should be what we're doing yeah Proper yeah, right. facilities there, I guess, as well, you know, compared to Phillip Island. It's, yeah, it's a bit barbaric. old school. Like, you know. Yeah. It's like we always laugh <clears> you <throat> in the back of the pits in Mudder GP and you'd be taking a piss next to Mark Marquez. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just legit yeah, like Poor bastard can't get away, can you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, apologies to our uh, South Australian viewers for yeah. shit camping the band. So hey, there you go. You've heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's all right. Everyone's allowed to have an opinion when you're in a potty. That's, yeah, that's, uh, it. that's, that's right. That's, that's, that's how it is. But... Uh, yeah. Anyway, good. At least, at least the listeners are are, uh, are passionate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's what right. we want. And you exactly. just poked them. You just yeah. got them right. You yeah. needed to. Right in the uh, right there. Just drawing them in. That's what we do best. <laughs> that's what we do best. So no, nah, it's good. I was just gonna say, um, how far in your career has safety come? I've always liked to ask these questions. You know, 
um, you've been riding for so long, you know, is it a real noticeable difference even with helmet design, leathers, and, and even track layouts? Like, Yeah, um, yes. So, like, definitely from a apparel perspective, yeah. the, even across the 20 years that I've been racing, like, it, it's definitely a lot better. Yeah. You know, we're still using the same materials. It's still, still leather yeah. um, and it's still uh, carbon composite helmets. That hasn't changed so much, but I mean, now obviously there's airbags in our race suits. Um, I'm one of few riders that are very fortunate in this country to actually to have an airbag suit with Dane Easy suit. Um, little plug. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, then say helmets, like what's changed there? I guess we've seen the introduction of the, I don't know what you call it, but the tabs. That, yeah. The safety release. Yeah. The safety release tabs there. Um, I'd be incredibly surprised if the education on that has actually filtered down to the people that are working with us on the track, but, um, but, but that product is there and available and, and, and really good. Um, so if anyone that doesn't know that's listening and basically that you can pull the cheek pads out of the helmet really quickly and really accessibly, um, which means that the helmet will slide straight off your head in the event of an accident. So instead of having to um, lift someone up off the ground or change or adjust their position where they may be laying, um, you can just support their head and and get their helmet off. Um, so that's a good invention. Then like I guess to digress on that, like visors, mm-hmm. if you're having a, a shit mixer and cartwheeling through the gravel trap, now – now, nowadays, the chance that your visor will still be on your helmet at the end of that yep. crash is significantly higher. The helmets aren't foolproof. Sometimes the visor might still come off, yep. um, but uh, certainly nowhere near as easily. Mm. Um, so that's good. Uh, circuits, far out. They've gone to using these rocks at the at, at the tracks, which yeah, okay. actually pisses me right off. <laughs> yeah. um, the... The rocks destroy everything. Yeah. They're pretty effective, I guess, at slowing you down, but it's like going through sandpaper at, at yeah, right. yeah, I don't know, literally hundreds of miles an yeah, hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not only do they absolutely destroy the bike, but the rocks are so, so sharp and fierce they bloody tear the suit open in, in a second. Yeah. yeah. The, the stitching mostly on the yeah. suit. Um, so – Again, that's why like the quality of your suit is so important. Yeah. Um, and the lightweight suits aren't always necessarily better. Yeah. But um yeah, venues, yeah, they're like internationally they're making venues safer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In this country, hmm, they're on the right path. Okay. They're good. They're on Something. the right path. It's not easy to implement and um I have actually written emails before or drafted emails that I've never sent because I'm worried about what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. Um, and uh, to give a little insight on that, like, you know, I'm from Perth and Wanneroo Racetrack is the local one at home. And we've just come out of a period, uh, probably, we're probably about four years out of it, where the circuit was closed for two years. And um, oh, in the end, they resolved, they fixed nothing on the track they deviated the circuit away from a place where there's never been any accidents and managed to get it reapproved and we're back racing there um but like that is not the outcome that i want Mm. from having for writing a letter being concerned about rider safety like there's a fine line between having something taken off the list like oh brian but you said this was this 
well, yeah, I don't want to not race there as of tomorrow. Mm. I just want it to be steadily improved over the next 10 years. That's right. Um, so there's stuff that I've drafted in the past that I've not persisted yep. with or pursued, worried about what the outcome would be based on yep. what I've seen at home. Um, but at least I'm going to say uh, maybe controversially, but like we're not racing at winter anymore and that's great. Yeah. We shouldn't be yep. until they move wall at turn two, turn three, turn four, coming onto the front straight. Like until they move all those walls, yep. we should not be racing there. Yep. Not at the level, like should they ban all motorcycling from there? Definitely not. But ASBK racing at yeah. the absolute highest level yeah. or even kids, you know, I know the last time that we were there, one of the kids from, I think it was OJC, uh, slides into the barrier, turn two, broken leg. Yeah, wow. Like a, a young kid. Yeah. A young kid. Still developing. Yeah. 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 I mean, the broken leg's the same for everyone, but yeah. like it's so, I think the worst thing about that is the kids, the kids, it's harder for them to read when you're inexperienced. Yeah. Uh, it's harder them to for them to read the the limit or the, or the mm. line there in the sand about, where the danger point is. Um, and, uh, so anyway, like great that we're not racing at Winton. And I know that that was, um, an, uh, motorcycling Australia stand on that. So I, I congratulate the people that sort of put their foot mm. down there and made that decision. The next one is Wakefield park. Like the only reason we're not racing there right now is because of the, the noise, yeah. but it really needs to be because of the safety. Yeah. Um, and I know that they're pushing to get that back on the calendar and I hope that they do but I hope they do it in the right way. Yeah. Um, so essentially like in answering your question, like the progression from the safety aspect of all the apparel, it's de like, it's, it's definitely, it's continually evolving. Yeah. But the safety standard in this country for the circuits, there's not really much evolution. Yeah. Nothing really, nothing really is happening. Yeah. And I'm going to say majority of our small circuits are dangerous or they could be improved. Um, and, uh, yeah, I understand the difficulties of it, but like I say, I think it just needs, there just needs to be some plans in place over a longer term period to steadily make progress on it. If you want the ASBK to come here to this venue, then put an, a five-year action plan in place. Yeah, it's not going to happen yeah. overnight. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just have and something there. We don't need it to happen overnight, but we need some gradual change. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, looking after the riders needs to be yeah needs to be the priority needs to be the priority yeah um so yeah internationally i guess i can't can't say anymore but i think dawn are pretty proactive yeah. with yeah yeah with making the standard yeah. the standard's pretty high i mean in saying that like looking at what they've done at phillip island now between turn one and two i can't see how that's safer <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. now a, there's now a wall that goes across yeah. a barrier that yeah, goes yeah, all the way right. across the circuit there. Yeah, I I I, I sort of see what they wanted to achieve, mm. but overall, I don't think that's necessarily safer. Anyway, someone far more intelligent than me would have yeah. signed off on that. Yeah, surely, that's all right. That's surely, all right. that's all right. That's it. Now to our speaking of safety, to wrap this potty up, we've got a surprise for you, Brian. Yes, break it out. I don't want to drop it. <laughs> That's the last thing we need. Shout out to our HJC Australia as well for um, hooking us up. Super cool of them. But we've got a, uh, a one of one limited edition 
Motorsport Republica helmet for you. There you go. With a bit of a message just to say thank you for coming on. You're our first guest. We greatly appreciate it. <laughs> yep. Super, super cool. Um, we've we've even know. signed it. We've all even signed it. So when we're super rich and famous, <laughs> we'll, um, it might yeah. be worth something. Yeah, it might be yeah, worth something. Yeah, good. I love this. How, how, yeah, how unreal. No worries. Well, you know, I can only um, strive to live by the standards that you've set here uh, <laughs> because, you know, I didn't bring you guys any gifts. No, no that's okay. We didn't expect we're, we're gift givers. We've got you yeah, a couple of Motorsport Republica t-shirts. We've got a cool Rossi one here as well for you. Oh, yeah. Sick. So, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks so much for coming on. and Yeah, really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, really appreciate it. Boys, it's been fun. Thanks so much for having me. I'm sure that uh, the stars that you're going to have on your show here might be much bigger celebrities <laughs> no, than me, no, but uh, no, more, than happy to, more than happy to kick it off. Yeah. No. And um, I don't know, I hope I hope, uh, hope the listeners have enjoyed the show. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Hope to do it again sometime yeah, as well. Sure they did. Good one. Awesome. Thanks, Thank man. Thank you. Cheers, man. Cheers.